Well, good morning, Mercy Road Church. How are you all doing today? Awesome. Hey, how awesome is it that we get to come together in this place and worship our God freely? Will you make some noise for Jesus this morning? Yeah. Hey, if it's your first time here, we want to welcome you here. Thank you so much for coming and joining us both in person and online. We say this every week. We believe that there is no one who is too far from God to experience a life change through Jesus. And we are here as a church to be a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints. So we want to welcome you here just as you are. And we pray that you would experience the love and the power of Jesus this morning. We just finished off this four-week teaching series, and it was called Follow Me. And last week, Pastor Josh, he talked about following Jesus, it takes sacrifice. But a lot of times when we're trying to follow Jesus and trying to make sacrifices, the enemy comes into our lives, and he tries to deceive us into thinking that we could have a better life outside of Jesus. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper in that this morning. And we're doing a standalone series today, our standalone message today, and it's called Fight Back. And I can't wait to share the word that God has put on my heart to share with you today. By the way, if I haven't met you yet, hi. My name is Anvita, and I am the pastor of prayer and fasting here. And my husband, Robert, he is also on staff here. He loves being called Robert. And um, he's over at the online campus, and he is also our discipleship huddle plaster here. And we have four amazing children. And um, years ago, when my kids are still little, I decided to surprise my husband with just like a dream date. It was actually my dream date, and I took him with me. And um, we, I bought tickets to a worship concert. We go to church every week, but because of our work situation, we don't get to worship together. So, and I love corporate worship. So I was like, this is going to be awesome. Corporate worship with my husband worshiping Jesus. Like life doesn't get better. So I buy these tickets and I am so excited. When the day comes, I'm literally bouncing as we're going in because I'm normal. And, um, the worship starts, and it was awesome, and I felt like my heart could literally just burst because it was so full. And as I'm worshiping, I feel a tap, and I turn around, and there was this nice guy who was dressed very nicely. He's like, ma'am, can you please sit down? You're blocking my view of the concert. <laughs> and then I had to take a few seconds to gather my thoughts, and I was like, well, sir, I'm actually here to worship Jesus, and it's really hard for me to even, like, stand still when I'm worshiping, so I'm probably not going to be able to sit. I'm sorry. I'm probably going to stand the whole time. And then he responds with, you are the most selfish Christian that I've ever met, and he said lots of other things that I have blocked from my memory because my temperature just goes out the roof, and I'm standing there shaking because I am so angry, and I don't get angry, so I don't even know what to do with myself, so I'm just there, just hot and shaking. In my head, I am just venting to Jesus. I'm like, Jesus, can you believe the audacity that this man has to tell me to sit down while I try to worship you? I am not sitting down while I worship you, but I am so hot right now. I don't even know if I can worship you. I'm so mad. I don't know what to do with myself, you know? So I'm just like venting to Jesus. And in that moment, God said to me, you are not the only one here. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy 
but you have to let him. And immediately I was like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't do that on the outside. Um, but we did end up moving a couple rows and it was an amazing night of worship. And I have to tell you this part because I love it when Jesus makes me laugh. Um, I happened to turn around later on and I found out that my seat was taken by somebody who was like much taller than me. And um, now the fuel view was completely blocked. But um, anyway, why am I sharing that with you? See, that night the guy was not the problem, right? Like he was not my problem. We live in a world that is physical and there are spiritual realities. And I don't know what your thoughts are towards that. Barbarna Group, they did a study and they surveyed Christians. And 60% of the Christians said that the devil is like this name that represents like this evil force. It's not really like a real being. Well, the Bible says that he was actually one of the archangels and he was beautiful. And he was just so into himself because one day he's like, you know what, God, I don't want to do what you want me to do. I don't really want to worship you. What I really want is what I want. And what I want is I want to be worshipped. I want to be like him, like, like you. So because of his rebellion, he gets kicked out of heaven. Jesus actually says this, that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And along with him, there were other angels who also rebelled and they get kicked out of heaven and those are the demons. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. He's the accuser. He's the deceiver. And he wants nothing good for you. He hates God and he hates everything that's been created in the image of God. That's you and I. And I just want to say that Satan has a hit list and you might just be on it. Now, we don't have to live a life that's in fear, right? But Jesus said in John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that they might have and enjoy life. Have it to the full, have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. See, what the devil wants for your life and what Jesus wants for your life are two completely opposite things. And we don't have to live in fear who the, of the, who the devil is because Jesus has already defeated him. But we do need to be aware of his tactics in our lives so when he does come, we know how to fight back. So we're not living a life in defeat. The title of the message today is Fight Back and let's pray and we'll dive right in. God, I just want to thank you so much for every single person that is here today. God, every single person that's here listening and the person that's online, God. Father, I thank you so much that you have good plans for us. Father, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation over every single person who is listening. Father, I pray that you would silence the voice of the enemy. Speak, Lord. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in Luke 4, 1 through 14 today. And while you're finding Luke 4, I want to give you a little bit of background as to what has happened just right before this. <clears throat> so right before this in chapter 3, Jesus was just baptized with John the Baptist. And when he, Jesus gets baptized, the heaven literally opens up. And the Holy Spirit, in form of a dove, descends upon Jesus. And the Father, in an audible voice, 
says, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. He acknowledges him for people to hear that this is his son. And right after this, Luke goes on to list the genealogy of Jesus, and he traces it back all the way to Adam. This is really important because what Jesus is about to go through here in the wilderness through his temptations is directly related to what happened in the garden. See, in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, in the very beginning, God makes everything. And then he makes mankind in his own image. And he says, you know what? You eat anything that you want to eat in this garden. It is all yours, except don't eat from this fruit tree of good and evil. And he says, I give you full authority over everything that I've created. It is yours. Until the enemy comes along and he deceives Adam and Eve into believing the enemy, the devil, instead of what God had said. And they end up eating the fruit and because of their disobedience, sin enters the world and now the relationship with God is broken and the authority that was given to him is now the devil's. And in that moment, God, he speaks of the first messianic prophecy, which leads to Jesus. That points to Jesus. And the whole Bible is a story about God's redemption plan for us and how someday he was going to send someone to defeat the devil. So the devil knows now that Jesus has just been confirmed as his son, that this is the one, 100%. Who is here? Who's going to try to defeat me? So we need to understand that all the firepower that the devil has is pointed to Jesus right here. Let's see what happens. Luke 4, 1 through 14. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the son of God, tell a stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. He's like, I'll make it easy for you. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to go through all the hard stuff. You want authority? I will give it to you and make it easy for you. Just worship me. Jesus answers, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, that they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to a test. And when the devil had finished all the tempting, he left him for an opportune time. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. So what does the enemy do? First thing he does is that he distracts. The enemy, he distracts. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, and the enemy is there for 40 days, and constantly, and he does not leave him alone. Why? The whole time he's there, he's trying to say things and do things, and he's trying to get Jesus to do something that God doesn't want him to do. He's trying to get Jesus to be disobedient, and he tries, and he tries, and he tries, and he tries, and he tries something, anything, to trying to get him to fail so he doesn't finish the purpose for why he came. See, that happened in the garden, too. He has Adam and Eve looking at this fruit, and they are so distracted by this fruit that looks so good. 
Like in my head, I'm like, it had to be covered with chocolate. You know, I'm like, they look at it and they're like, can't say no. But they're so distracted by how good it looks, they forget that there's consequences attached to this good-looking fruit. And oftentimes, that's how the enemy, he works in our lives too. You know, he has us so busy in our lives with all sorts of distractions, right? Like when I was getting ready for this message, I was feeling convicted. And I'm like, I'm a mom, I work, I have four kids, and they have schedules, and I have a schedule. And like, really, there are things that God has put on my heart that I've been putting on hold for the last couple months because I am just so busy. But he has us so distracted trying to chase, get that promotion. He has us so distracted trying to get that perfect body. He has, so, has us so distracted trying to chase all these things in this world that we are, our schedules are so full. Do you know that 80% of Christians in the United States go to church not even once a week? We can't even get ourselves to go to church once a week, 80% of us, because we are just so distracted and our schedules are just so full that we can't even make room for God every week in our lives. And he knows that as long as we're busy and distracted building our own kingdoms, we're not going to be busy building God's kingdom. We don't have time for it. So he just has us distracted, chasing everything that looks so good in our lives. Money, activities, vacations, whatever. He has us distracted. Corinthians 1, 10, 13 says this, no temptation has ever overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. It means that every single temptation that you and I have, that is nothing new to humankind, right? The temptation to make more money, to have some form of power, to get approval from people. These are not new things. But God says, you know what? When those things come, you can say no. That means when that promotion comes your way and they offer you extra $50,000 a year if you just take this job, but you know that it's gonna take you away from whatever God is calling you to do, you don't have to take it. You can say no. You have a choice to make. I heard this quote a long time ago and I thought it was a really good quote. It said, just because it's a good thing, it doesn't mean that it's a God thing. Just because it's a good thing, it doesn't mean that it's a God thing. See, God has created each one of us on purpose and for a purpose. He wants all of us to know him, like to have a relationship with him. And he wants us to make him known. And at any time we try to grow in that, anytime we try to get closer to God, anytime we try to prioritize him, he just throws all sorts of distractions our way. So we can't prioritize him. We have a choice to make. What else does he do? The devil causes us to doubt God's word. To doubt God's word. In the garden, he comes, uh, the devil, he comes to Eve and he's like, hey, did God really say not to eat anything? Not what God said. And the girl goes on to have a conversation with the devil, which is not something we ever want to do because we will lose every time. He comes to Jesus and he's like, he doesn't deny that he's the son of God, but he's like, hey, if you really are the son of God, 
Why don't you tell the stone to become bread? He sounds so nice. You know, Jesus is in the wilderness. He is hungry. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. He's like, hey, if you are the son of God, you don't have to be hungry. You can just tell the stone to become bread. It doesn't sound so bad. But he's having Jesus question his identity. You know, the devil hasn't changed much. He has this so confused about our identity in our nation, over who we really are. For some of us, he has us chasing money so we can find our identity in how much money we have. For some of us, he has us chasing like careers and getting another degree because our identities are tied up in how intelligent we are. He has us chasing sports because he's, we have our identities just tied up in how amazing of an athlete we are. And the enemy knows that as long as you're chasing things in this world and identity in this world, he knows that you are not going to have time to find your true identity in God. Because if you find out what your true identity really is, you would be a powerful force for the kingdom of God. So he has us question what God has said. How does it work in our lives? Let me give you an example everybody will love. It can sound something like this. Hey, um, does God really want you to tithe? Like, this is Old Testament. Who does that anymore? You know, the church is just after your money. Why do I have to give it to the church? I can give it to a nice organization. I can do something nice for someone. Why do I need to give it to the church? Can I really trust them with my money? 10% is a lot of money. I could put it in retirement, kids' education, take a couple of vacations. I don't know if I really need to do that. The church is really just trying to get your money. And this girl and her husband both work for the staff, so she's probably just trying to get a raise. Just kidding. Or it could go the other way. Right? Like, you don't have enough money. Like, you live paycheck by paycheck by paycheck right now anyway. What, God's just going to open up the heavens so you can just provide for you? See, the enemy knows that this is the only place in the Bible where God says, test me in this. He says, test me in this. Because he knows that if you could just open up our eyes and get ourselves to just trust God with just the 10% of what we can see, of what is in the physical, we would know that God, you can trust him. Like when he says that when you put me first in your finances, that even when we can't see it, somehow he just shows up. Somehow you always have enough and you will start to build your trust in him and you will really try, start to depend on him. See, God doesn't want your 10%. What he really wants, what Jesus talks about, is a new, he wants 100% of you. He wants all of you, but if we can't even trust God with just the 10% of our lives, there is no way that we will trust God with everything that we have, 100% of us. So the enemy's like, eh, you just keep your money. The other thing the enemy does is that he deceives. The devil, he deceives. He takes a word and he deceives it. In the passage that we just read, you know, every time the devil says something, Jesus fights back with scripture, and the devil's like, oh, you like scripture, let me quote some to you. 
And when he quotes it, Jesus, uh, when the devil says, hey, it's written, if you jump off this cliff, the angels are going to come rescue you. He, they were standing at a point, you guys, it was really high up, and below them was this temple. So if Jesus jumped off this cliff, angels would come and rescue him. But the bigger thing is they're in the temple they were Jewish leaders, and these leaders would see Jesus being rescued, and they would know without a shadow of a doubt that that scripture was being fulfilled, and Jesus would have the approval that he came for. Like, people would know that this, in fact, is the Son of God. So the enemy is taking the scripture, and he's twisting it. You know how many people that the devil has led astray because he's twisted the scripture? You know how many times over centuries that the enemy has used the scripture to defend sin. He's taken the scripture, twisted it, make it for our own liking, and he has taken people actually farther away from Jesus. A few months ago, I had this dream, and one of the ways the Lord speaks to me is through dreams. And I woke up and I was like, whoa, I need to call my mentors. I call Angie and I call Pastor Greg. I'm like, I had this dream and I'm 100% sure that the Lord is trying to warn me about the enemy in my life and I have no idea where he's working, but Jesus is trying to warn me. And I had no idea what it was, so I'd been praying about it. And then actually when I was preparing for this message, I had like this powerful moment where God revealed the exact scripture to me that the enemy had taken and he had twisted it and made me believe something that was not true. And I had made my husband's life miserable the last couple of months because I had been deceived. And then I had to apologize to my husband and he loved every minute of it. And um, I had to apologize to God and get my heart right with him again. But I'm just sharing that because none of us are immune to his schemes. And if we're not on guard about what he's doing and how he's working, and he changes how he works in our life over time. He doesn't keep using the same thing. You figure out one thing, he's gonna try something else the next time. So we have to be on guard in how he works in our life. And I wanna encourage you this morning to ask God, hey God, is there anything that I'm believing that is not the truth. Is there anything that I'm believing that is a lie? Will you reveal that to me? And he will. So what do we do? How do we fight back? We fight back with the word of God. We fight back with the word of God. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The rest of that verse, which is from Deuteronomy 3, that's what Jesus is quoting. It says, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus knew that this was not a physical battle. It wasn't about the food. It wasn't about him being hungry, that there was a bigger thing going on. And if he wanted to fight, he needed to depend on the word of God. Do you know that one word of God is more powerful than all the ammunition that the devil can throw at you? And we have to be people who are dependent on the word of God. 2 Corinthians 4.10 says, The weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood. Our weapons are divinely powerful for destruction of fortresses. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God, it's alive and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to divide the soul and spirits, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. Jesus, he was able to quote the scriptures, you guys, because he knew it. And this is why we have to be a church 
that reads the Bible, that reads the Word of God. If we don't know the Word, we're not going to be able to quote anything. We have to make room in our lives to read the Word every day. Every day. And I just want to say that the enemy, he knows the Scriptures that any one of us sitting here. He's been around for a long time. But he also knows that if you start reading the Bible, you might just start developing this relationship with God. And you would know how real he is and how involved he is in your lives. You would get to know this God who is incredibly kind and generous and faithful and loving and forgiving. That nothing about him has changed and you can trust him. But he doesn't want that. He's like, I don't, he doesn't want you to know that God. He also knows that if you read your Bibles, you would find your true identity. He knows that if you read your Bible, you would know that you have been freed. You would know that you have been called. You would know that you've been chosen. You would, he would know. He doesn't want you to know that you've been redeemed, that you are the sons and the daughters of the Most High God, that you have been adopted into his family, that you are a citizen of heaven. And it comes with rights and privileges. And he doesn't want you to know that you have been covered by the blood of Jesus and there is no weapon formed against you that shall prosper. Somebody in this house, make some noise because we have a God who is for you and who is not against you. And there is nothing that the devil can throw at you that will prosper. I don't know if you guys heard that. There is nothing that the enemy can throw at you that can prosper. Because you have been covered by the blood of Jesus. So what do we do? We have to fight back. He wants you to keep finding your identity in all these things that are in this world. But we have to find our identity in God. So when you hear things like, oh, you would be so much better looking if you were just, you know, bigger this, smaller that. You can be like, nah, I am the masterpiece of God. And you move on. You hear things like, oh, how could anybody ever love you after what you did last night? How can God love you and forgive you? You can be like, nah, the word says that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons. There is nothing in this creation that can separate me from the love of God. And you fight back the lies with the truth of God. Second Corinthians 10.5 says, we are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive and making it obedient to God. Every single thing that we think about has to be in line with what God has said. That's it. And if it's not, you make it obedient to God. What else do we do? We pray and fast. We pray and fast. So Jesus lived this life of prayer. He lived a life of prayer. And when he talked about prayer and fasting, he didn't say, well, when you pray or if you pray, or if you fast, he's like, no, when you pray, when you fast, he expects us to do it. And it's interesting in this passage that we read, in the first verse, it says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And after he has said no to his, his own desires over and over again, and after he had put God first over and over again, we read 
in verse 14 that he left the wilderness with the power of God. And I just want to tell you today that if you are in here and you believe in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. But if we want to have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have to be people who are willing to surrender to God and be like, God, you have it all. I don't want to do what I want. I want you to be the king of my life, and I am here for you. I will say no to things that I want because I want to be obedient to whatever it is that you're calling me to do. And there is something powerful that happens when we are in his presence with prayer and fasting. And I want to tell you, and I want to invite you, and I want to encourage you to pull out your phones right now because we are going into a 52 days of prayer and fasting as a Multiply Indiana um, family of churches. Take out your phones and text Multiply to this number. You don't want to miss it. This is the first time that we're doing this. Over 30 churches over the state of Indiana, we are coming together and going before God and saying, God, we are so desperate for you. God, we want more of you in our lives. God, we want you more in our families. God, in our communities, in our cities, in this state, in this nation. We need the power of God to work in and through us to live the life that he's called us to live. And we will not hold back. Did you guys all get that? You take a picture if you missed it. I want to tell you that the guide is also going to be available online if you want to download the link and print it out at home. We're going to have some guides available in the lobby too if you prefer the paper copies too. But I want to encourage you, if you feel like you can't do it for whatever reason, pick it up and do it. Just do it. I want to invite the band to come up and I want to share one last thing with you as they are com coming up. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. It is in 2 Kings chapter 6. In this section, there was a war. King of Aram was in a battle with Israel. And every time they tried to attack Israel, they would win. And finally, the king figures out that, hey, Israel has this guy He's a prophet, and his name is Elisha. And somehow, he knows our plans before we attack, and this is how they keep winning. So what he does is at nighttime, he finds out where Elisha and his servant are staying, and he sends a strong force. And at nighttime, they go and they surround the city with horses and chariots and soldiers, and they're completely surrounded. In the morning, the servant wakes up, and he's like, freaking out. He's like, there is no way out. He's like, oh Lord, what do we do? We are completely surrounded. And this is what Elisha says in verse 16. He says, don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than who are with them. And Elisha prayed. You guys, he prayed. He said, open his eyes, Lord, so that they may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw that the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. See, the servant, he just saw what was in the physical. He could just see that this was going on. But what Elisha saw was what was going on in the spiritual, that, hey, yeah, we are surrounded right now, but there are more forests than 
who was against us. And I just want to remind us today that I don't know what you feel like you're surrounded with in the physical. And I want to encourage you to ask God, say, God, open my eyes to see, to see what is going on in the spiritual. Because I know that this is not just a physical battle, Lord. Thank you for being with me, God. Thank you for being for me. Thank you for fighting for me. Thank you that I already have the victory. God, help me to fight from a point of victory. I don't know about you, but we don't want to be a church. We don't want to be people who are living under fear, who are living with no hope and no joy in our lives. Jesus died so you and I can have this abundant life and to enjoy it. So I don't know about you, who in here is ready to fight back? Fight back for your joy. Fight back for your families. Fight back for your relationships. Fight back. Let's close with prayer. God, I just thank you so much for being our God. God, I thank you for being faithful. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the unseen. God, I pray that you would give us the courage and the faith, God, to live this life that you've called us to live, God. Help us to depend on you. We surrender everything to you. In Jesus' name, amen.